without your sales leaders, without the internal teams, external teams, or partner teams not knowing how to scope or estimate, obviously, you will not make money, but then the customers also are not going to be successful. Welcome to SaaS Connect, the SaaS Partnership Podcast, brought to you by the Cloud Software Association. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. Thank you for being here. A little bit about me. I was the first professional services hire at TalkDesk. So TalkDesk, for folks that don't know, is a contact center company. And we specialize in delivering contact center software, really. And my background, coming from these other companies like Fitbit and T-Mobile, was focused on customer support how I got to be engaged in this space. Now, when I joined, the company was pre-Series A. We've had a couple of funding rounds since, and we raised a pretty serious round recently. It was a 100 million Series B round. And we've come pretty far as far as the market capitalization. And this specific industry itself is ripe for disruption, and that's what we aim to do. I was the first professional services hire, like I said, and there were about 15 people in the company when I had joined, and there was absolutely no sense for how we do SaaS or how we deploy a contact center software, and my role was to figure this out for the company. Now, what is TalkDesk? TalkDesk is an enterprise contact center service that empowers companies to make customer experience their competitive advantage. So essentially, nobody is thinking about the customer or the experience. So we are building a software for the customer journey of today. And that's that's essentially what we're trying to do. We've had analyst recognition in the recent past from Gartner. We were named a visionary in the Gartner Magic Quadrant, youngest company to ever show up in the Gartner Magic Quadrant, in the CCAS category. And obviously, other names you may notice, like Forrester and Frost and Sullivan as well. This is where we started. This is literally what pulled me to TalkDesk. I saw this billboard on Highway 101 that said, build a call center in five minutes. And this piqued my interest. How would somebody build a call center, let alone deploy software, in five minutes? Now, this works well in the SMB market. But obviously, you can tell it's not a great play as you start to go more up market. It costs money to deploy, obviously. But then there is operational pandemonium. You encourage bad sales behaviors. And then there is employee morale issues. Now, quick story, I, when I started, we signed a fintech company. They're a big name now. They signed us for a five-seater, and literally, I was the guy on the call, and he got the customer came on the call. and was like, well, I've seen this billboard, and we signed on Friday. Today is Monday. Let's talk. I'm like, okay, what are we talking about? Well, build a call center in five minutes. Okay, sure. It was super easy, right? Buy a phone number, adding agents, adding the routing settings, what have you, and then you could actually be up and running in five minutes. But the point is, as you start to scale your call center, you go into different geographies and you scale your teams and you do all kinds of funky routing logic. This doesn't apply anymore and certainly will not work for your customers, certainly won't keep your employees happy because once the implementation is complete, the customers want the same exact people to help you. Plus, they want to keep asking you for that personalized attention. So it's just not great strategy as you think predictability. We're still obviously positioning this as easy add-on to the overall sale. So it's easy to see that at this point, we were still not selling services. So we're not making money here. We're still showing them that, hey, it's easy. You have it, take it. And nobody's going to pay you for five minutes worth of work. So this was all free. 
Now, we are here right now. Okay, this is four years later. That was 2015, by the way, that billboard. We are here where we have a standard process of how we do implementation. It takes a few weeks to, I would say, six to eight weeks usually to implement TalkDesk and going from discovery through config, we offer training and we deploy multi-site deployments going up to like 2,000 agents in like four or five or sometimes 20 countries. Now, this is our deployment, what it looks like today. We obviously didn't start here, as you know. Now, pure play SaaS companies would use professional services as a way to decrease churn and to increase or add to your ARR. That's not where we are as a company. However, from an attach rate perspective, from a dollar value perspective, also, we are not that high. Like, usually when you look at larger SaaS companies, companies our size, or companies that play in our say, uh, space, from a dollar value perspective, have an attach rate of 2x, 3x. But we are not that expensive to deploy because our methodology is super easy for anybody new to learn and do it. Secondly, it also doesn't cost as much. So we're not going the pure play SaaS route. Also, we believe that the attach rate is going to come down in future. I think that's where everybody is headed. They want easy. They don't want to pay for services. But from our perspective, it's not necessarily the revenue generator. It is a revenue generator. Now, when you think about levers for services operations, obviously some of you here have done it. Some of you have an idea for it. Now, how did I do it? These are the three things that were important. Obviously, sales alignment and predictability, right? Positioning yourself for the market, making yourself available, saying that, yes, we are doing it, here's how we do it. Second, the quality of implementation. Like, be mindful of what your customers need. Be mindful of what does it take to customers happy, make customers happy. And third, capacity and utilization. So from a sales alignment and predictability perspective, we struggle with off-stage accuracy. A lot of the smaller companies have this issue. We use Salesforce, and in Salesforce, if you are moving opportunities from stage one to stage two to stage three, it then sits in stage three for a while. You are now thinking, okay, why is it in stage three? Why not in stage four? Like, the definitions were off, turns out. And how we moved, how we understood the forecasting completely put out our any kind of revenue plans by few ways off. Second thing was estimation and pricing. We obviously didn't have any data to understand how do we price it. Now you have a five-seater, you have a 50-seater, you have a 100-seater. Somebody wants a Salesforce integration, somebody wants a Zendesk integration. You top it off with like a networking ask. So there's a lot of variables when you think a CCAS implementation. And we didn't have a sense for how to begin even charging. And we collected all this data from existing implementations to say, okay, great. This is how a five-seater went. This is how a 10-seater went. When we just made it available for free, use that to create scoping documents to really get better at how do we know whether the customer is ready or not. We used this to inform the deal cycle to say, yes, let's keep pushing hard for more and more information, create a standard SOW process, and then come up with bill rates. We started off with a fixed fee model where it was standard fixed bid, you get implementation for, say, 1000 bucks, And then 1000 bucks doesn't work because if it's, you know, four hours worth of work, it's $250 per hour. It's, from a bill rate perspective, great, but then not everything can be sold for $1,000. We had these hard lessons very early on, but then we were able to collect this data, which is more about the quality of implementations. And from a CSAT and customer journey perspective, 
we would poll the customers as far as how do they like us. And we started to pull back a little bit. And we started to see how customers really were willing to pay for services. So we had a hard cutoff where we would say we would absolutely quit the project on this date after implementation. And then that point forward, you will engage with our customer success team or our support team. And that made the customers come back to us and say we will pay for it. So we got a sense from the market as far as what they thought. And then obviously from a journey perspective, we started to understand where is this customer going after they implement it. From an employee satisfaction perspective, obviously, you don't want to burn them down. And we instituted time tracking early on as well. And most companies, small companies, don't do this. But getting a sense for how you do billable and non-billable tasks, where do you actually expend all your effort, getting a sense for that is super important so that you have a good sense for utilizations, which is a third item. So getting finance alignment early on is super important whether it's you telling them that 65% is a utilization or them telling you that it's 80%, whatever that number is, right? It has to be informed with data. And the second item of quality of implementations and tracking will give you that. And this put together is really great for you to come up with a plan. Now, what we did was this actually happened in year three, I will say, where sales alignment was in play where we were able to get in front of customers and say here's how much we'll charge and then we moved on to quality of implementations and thought about time tracking collecting the data your customers will get to know how you are charging them and if you went to a more mature model like we did which is we went time and materials and we said this is 50 hours worth of work because we have scoped it to be such and this is what it covers here's the sow customers like it it's great and your employees are also happy because everybody's accountable on paper. And finance absolutely loves it because then there is a good way to prove your forecast and your delta and get your headcount budgets figured out. Okay, This is great. When it works like a process, it's fantastic. It's clockwork when it does. And it's, it's even better when it makes money. Now, this is great. Now, this happened in year three when we actually were able to break even. We had a really good sense for how you could turn data, time tracking data, into deciding correctly what is the number of hours, right? Like I always say this, the mistakes we made earlier were more about what is the overall cost to the customer, and it was directed by sales. The attitude we had then was what is the cost to customer. We changed that to the hours are the hours. We will estimate it right. We'll tell the customer what the number of hours are. If it means we zero it out and give it to you for free, it doesn't matter. But from our perspective, the tracking is still correct in that we know exactly how much time is required. This makes a good case internally for headcount, even if it's $0 value. So this helped us come to a good sense for what are the different packages we need. We today have about four packages based on ACV. And based on the ACV, we are able to easily spin up SOWs. And some of them are system-generated automated SOWs. And we don't even have to spend time from an ops perspective. And we are at that point where until a great, like let's say $30,000 ACV, we don't need any kind of scoping conversations. We know exactly how much it will cost. And we know exactly how much effort it will take. And three, we are accurate about it, meaning we don't have to worry about change orders or anything of that sort. This is all great from money making, right? Where we are going next is services partners. Now, we've already instituted a program. Your services partners are a great way to obviously extend your services beyond your internal team. External team 
right? So when you think about services partners, there is channel partners, value resellers, there is services partners that come to the table that are system integrators, and then you have ISP partners. Now, these three categories of people in some form, shape, are aligned with TalkDesk, and they want to work with you. But their vested interest, obviously, also is, okay, I want to help you from an implementation perspective. The way we do it is, phase one, we do a course or a class every quarter where we bring people over from a certification perspective, two days in San Francisco or wherever, Lisbon, depending on the geography. Phase two is usually about field engagement where the trained partners would shadow us on billable projects. And this is projects from a TalkDesk perspective that TalkDesk owns. It's on TalkDesk paper. They're just an additional resource. Third is they could go direct. Now, we've been able to come to this point, I would say phase three with partners, where they've done something with us over a period of time. And they've worked with us on projects. They've demonstrated knowledge, obviously, through training, but then also have done field engagement. Right? That's when you're able to give them projects of their own. This is great from own it, do it type of thing. Now, bring it all together. PS operations obviously make sure you're tracking hours, billable, non-bill, and resource level as well. This is great from a tracking perspective. Two, sales strategy, you need sales alignment. Like without your sales leaders, without the internal teams, external teams, or partner teams not knowing how to scope or estimate, obviously you will not make money, but then the customers also are not going to be successful. This is important from a continuity perspective. Somebody mentioned this yesterday in a talk that 70% of the revenue for a customer is really coming post-sale. And if you want that to be true, and that is true actually, is they have to be set up for success. You want to make sure that the customers are getting what you should be giving them from a product perspective, and they feel like they got the right kind of support during implementation, and they can ask you questions post, and there's a way for them to get more things from you in the future. So alignment with sales and getting in on sales deals from a PS perspective is super important. Partner strategy, which is, I think everybody's talked about this. I don't need to harp on it, but QBRs and partner agreements and partner bill rates and RAMP, this is important. Like agreeing to some level of transparency. I will not say that you have to share everything there is about you, about your pipeline, but agreeing to share information is important. Do you guys address a specific portion of the market or is it enterprise all the way down to SMB? I think it's everybody at this point. Anybody that needs a call center. And are you seeing good traction on the enterprise side where folks are coming off heavy duty, expensive in-house systems? Absolutely. So we have a good reseller program and a channel program now through master agents as well. And many of these partners actually play in those environments where we have legacy systems like Avaya or some of the big names you've heard from like 20 years ago, and they're not cloud native. And that's exactly where we are going, which is be that cloud 2.0 or that native to cloud type of experiences for customers. How much time and resources do you put into training your partners that are going to provide the SOW themselves? You know, and how do you qualify them? Yeah, great question. So to get to the SOW level, which is phase three in my diagram there, so you obviously are putting in effort from a training perspective that's just a training class, but then the actual project work, if you've done about, I want to say about 100, 150 hours worth of work, you know exactly, as a consultant, you know exactly what it takes to deploy, and then we can have a real conversation with the partner about what we can do with this particular resource so that they can go direct 
to whoever and quote their own SRW. Do you ever kind of do the first one or two alongside like a buddy system? Like a co-sell? Yeah, yes. or co-implement or co-provide services? Absolutely. So for co-implement, that happens in phase two, which is after you've trained. Phase two is where on talk-desk paper, sure, it's our paper and our bill rate and all that. But the expectation usually is, Mr. Partner, take this, run with it. We'll watch what you do. We are setting you up for that next level where you will not even see us. And from a co-sell perspective, which is where eventually they will get to, that's a different motion. It's not an implementation motion. It's a sales motion. And that is more around enabling the sales teams, making sure that they know what our practices are. And Ty was mentioning in this previous talk earlier, which is, does it fit into their strategy? In this case, you have to talk their language. And how do you position us? And how do you, if you're white labeling us, how do you do it? So that will take some time. And it's not always cookie cutter, this one, co-selling. I wonder how you manage the selling process. Like there's, there's an implicit cost to success. Like, yeah, we want the product, we want the licenses, but then I need to invest a significant amount of dollars on the implementation side. So do you go from the beginning? Do you go to from the selling process? You already incorporate that services part as the conversation or just like close the licensing deal first and then, okay, by the way, you need to spend. No, so from a volume attach rate perspective, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's 100%. So every deal absolutely comes with PS. So that's a given. Yeah. And that's because it's the complexity of the product and the, and I think the customers, like the buying cycle here is not that hard from making them, like we don't have to do a lot of FUD, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Like as a tactic, because everybody gets it, that it is hard and it is a diverse system. So we don't have to sell, we don't have to talk about the value of PS. Everybody gets it. However, how we do PS is a differentiator. We still do that. We still talk about how detailed the process is and how we make sure that the administration is easy or my colleague actually Kapil here manages the App Connect platform which is our integration partners or if you think about a one-click install it's like buying an app from an app store that, mm-hmm. that's what he does right and how do you get all these bolt-ons easily how do you expand the system so all this value selling and how do you do that once you buy it? How do you implement it easily? How do you manage it easily? Is still the conversation. However, the underlying ask from day one is PS is included. There's a dollar value. Thank you. What is your optimal mix for third-party PS delivery? What, where would you like that to be? Like a percentage or what do you mean? Yeah, percentage of deals or percentage of revenue. How much of that do you want delivered by third parties or what's your target? About 25-30%. Like build revenue. But that's interesting to me, though. So how do you delineate who's going to get the in-house versus the professional services? It's a combination of utilization, like headcount, number one. Number two, the pipeline, whether we are able to give somebody to... So let's say there's a partner that brought a deal to us. They're a reseller partner. They're also enabled from an implementation perspective. I'm more likely to give it back to them because they understand the customer a lot better. There's various factors. One. Two, geographies are important, and we want to make sure that we are giving as much as possible to the customer in terms of face time, in terms of relationship, in terms of availability. There is all that also play in. Third, I think which is most important is from a revenue perspective, we obviously do a margin. We have a margin of about 20% on anything that we give to the partner. So we will see if there is a lot of margin to be made, then yes, I think it makes sense. Otherwise, we would just give away. Now, increasingly, other thing that's happening is a lot of the smaller deals are 
we were just giving away those to partners because we don't want to expend a lot of effort on especially fixed bid type of projects where it doesn't make sense for us to like keep answering questions or do that busy job, so to speak. So a lot of factors. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Bit of a follow-up there. How do you manage that expectation when the lead is brought in from the partner? I guess the partner wants to just also win the professional services deal, but it sounded like you still have like the right of first refusal on who is going to deliver those. Absolutely. Yeah. If you are not certified, you cannot implement, period. As a consultant, we need to know who you are bringing on. Mm-hmm. I need to know who that is. And yes, we reserve the right to first refusal. However, if you have a qualified deal and you have a qualified candidate, there is no reason why you will not get it. We have that honest conversation. And because of QBRs that we do, we have a good sense for how they are doing and we have a sense for the partner success, also the customer success. We know how they've rated the partner. And so there is a lot of data available to make that decision easy for both sides. Mm-hmm. At least there's something in it to bring the lead if I'm not qualified yet to get the professional services. I still get something from the lead and Yes. Hopefully, yeah. From a referral fee perspective, yes. Yeah. PS is not a big revenue stream yet. Mm-hmm. When we are, I think a question like that becomes a lot more complex to answer, which is, yes, the candidates are not great, but then it's a big ticket item. Now what? Yeah. So can we, we've done this in the past where uh, we've had partners bring in like some really large opportunities and they didn't have any consultants. We literally trained them after close so they could get on there implement it and also get the money for it. So we're not very mature or predictable in terms of that kind of a behavior. All right. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate great presentation. Thank you. If you like this and want more great insights on software partnerships, you've got to rate, like, and subscribe and join us at the cloudsoftwareassociation.com. Thank you as always to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. We'll see you on the next episode.